Welcome to Let's Continue the Conversation. Some conversations are inherently difficult to have, especially when they involve race, diversity, and inclusion. I'm Lizzie Morris, and along with my dear friend and co-host, Trisha Broderick, we're here to continue these conversations. We want to see our corporate spaces all over the world be truly inclusive. But for that to happen, everybody needs to be recognized as beautiful in their own right. I am a beautiful person. You are a beautiful person. Let's continue the conversation until the whole world understands this. It starts here, one conversation at a time. Let's connect so that we can collaborate to bring about the necessary change to make our world a beautiful place for all humans. If you are finding yourself motivated and inspired, learning something new, or a fan of the show, let us spread the message together. Help us to do that by screenshotting this episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversations. And on Twitter, tweet away, Let's Continue the Conversations and tag us there. It's time to continue the conversation. Let's get started. I'm Trisha Braddock. Lizzie and I have been friends for several years now, and we were chatting one day, checking in with each other, and Lizzie said, I wish people could just hear this. And I'm like, what's this? And she's like, this conversation, our conversation. And I was like, well, why can't they? (laughs) And so the next thing we know, we're down this path of creating an environment where we're going to engage as if it's just the two of us and talk as we normally do about topics that have ranged quite extensively, but focus in here on, on especially racial equity. These are not new conversations for us. These are conversations we've been having for several years in different formats and in different ways. So there's a lot of trust and an ability for us both to do that. But we thought it would be hopefully valuable to others to hear this because we both really just need these conversations to continue. And and although they're hard and difficult and scary at times, they're super important, especially not just in our personal lives, but in our professional lives too. So Lizzie, you want to introduce yourself and, and highlight the topic for today? Yes. So hi, my name's Lizzie Morris. As Trish told you, we have been having these conversations and the prompt that pulled us to kind of these forums was the idea of helping other people have these conversations, think these thoughts with the big intention that they'll take actions that will help with the change. So our topic today is who do we need to align with to make change? Like who are our biggest allies in making racial equity a reality in the corporate space and then thus affecting the world? And I want to make sure I qualify why I make such a deal about corporate space. The reason I do that is... Hold on, let me stop. <laughs> my phone's been going busy. I almost answered a call this morning from my best friend on a live stream this morning too, just because I was going to. <laughs> so let me rewind back. If we affect corporate space, corporate space affects the world because corporate space is where the money is made that pays the lobbyists that then underwrite politicians who then go ahead and argue and put laws and policies and et cetera into play. So if we can affect the corporate environment, we believe we'll affect other places. And in our profession where we are in the agile space, we spend a lot of time in corporate organizations. So since this is our 
genre, so to speak, the corporate world, it's where we want to see the effect first. So this is why you're going to hear us talk a lot about professional space and then talk about how community, individuals thinking, etc., goes into that. Now, Trisha here is fabulous on taking us meta with the scientific <laughs> behind it. I love her for doing that because she's so good at it. When we click into different biases, we're going to call them out. We'll try. Let's get <laughs> Yeah, we'll try. We'll try. Um, and when I fall into one, she'll call me out on it, like instantaneous like, feedback, like, um, hello, hello. You, can't. you do what you're just talking about, like you're not supposed to be doing, like, what the hell? And the key thing, guys, when we talk about feedback, because, again, we come from the agile space, we do believe that feedback is about helping people to inspect and adapt and to grow. So just like we inspect and we adapt technology for innovation, well, the people who make the innovation happen have to be adapted too to make the change happen that is going to keep people bringing their best selves or their talent into the workplace. So the innovation that drives the dollars keeps happening. So that's why this is a win-win if we can get corporations everywhere to start seeing this as a need. Happy metrics will go up. When happy metrics go up, you know productivity is good. People are feeling safe and want to bring the best of who they are to the things that actually drive your dollars. Which is what actually gets you the benefits, right? The wisdom of the crowd is only present if everybody can be their full selves. And I think the other dynamic within corporate too is is just for a very long time, we've been given the messages. I know I was specifically like, there's a line. You do not discuss these things in the corporate world. You discuss... And in hindsight, all of that maybe had some good intentions, but I'm I'm also somewhat wondering how much of that was just a silencing approach of dealing with some things too. But no more, no more compartmentalizing. No matter what, no more. We're trying here. Let's kick off the topic and get into it. So when you think, when you are looking at allies for equality, for Black professionals and equality across the board, who are we seeing as our strongest allies? So when I started looking at this and the topic came to bear, one of the top things I have been saying, and I've taken a little bit of a smacks and disciplines from people on this, is I had really been saying that I think our biggest allies in this were uh, white females as well as white gay males. Now, an interesting thing for me to say, um, and why people are like, well, why would you say that, Liz? That doesn't make any sense. We're our own allies. We're the ones who've got to make the change. I started thinking about that, and I realized if it is true, and I am open to being proven wrong, so please, you know, if it is true that Blacks on their own can make the necessary change that needs to be made, I cannot see why we would still be where we are today. Mm-hmm. In essence, in iteration two of the civil rights movement, that's what I've started calling it now, Trish. Iteration two. I actually went back through some text of, from somebody that I did, and, and I was basically calling it, you know, I was afraid of an, a new civil rights, so I can get behind that statement with, but it scares look. Right, scares. it does. Every time I say, I feel myself get emotional and fight tears back. Every single time I say it, because it triggers stuff, right? Because it's the idea of, one, I had a conversation with my mother this week and she said, one of the reasons I never wanted to move to America was because of this craziness that they were doing in the sixties and the seventies. I don't understand why it's still happening now. Um, my mother is about to be 70 years old. 
So she moved to America 24 years ago. And she would never have moved here if what's going on now was happening. My mother would have, there was no way you'd have got here anywhere close to this. That wasn't happening at the time. So it appeared as if equality in the American dream was truly still available to everybody on an equal footing. That's what it appeared as until being here now, we are seeing what we are seeing. So why am I saying white gay males and the white female? And this is going to be a little bit crude to a certain degree. So I apologize. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. We have seen that the strongest persuader to get men, white males in power to make decisions that maybe they didn't want to make is to affect their sexual outlets. Well, okay. Wait, you're going to have to say that again. One of the ways to get men and, and I'll go men and some of you can say, listen, that's wrong, but bear with me. I'm coming okay. In. Okay. A lot of times to get men to change their minds on a situation, there is a woman in the background who denies them of their sexual outlets. They're straight. What? Ah, but that's why I said also gay white males. Okay. That's why I said it. And notice, I know there are gay black men, gay black females. Right. I got, I, I understand that, but I don't think gay black men or gay black females have the power to make the shift or support it to really be the big change it needs to be. Because in that community, they're still dealing with being second ranked, third ranked, fourth ranked. Does that make sense? Right. Whereas although the LGBT community has always been getting hit, the whites in that community have been able to push more change. That is true. Those who are of color in that community, right? Not that they haven't been protesting, not that they're not writing checks behind it, but swinging stuff has been the white male talking to the white male and the female behind the white males, so to speak. So if when you come (coughs) home, your partner's not talking to you, making life very, very difficult for you. If that's somebody you really love and this is where you really want to stay, you tend to start shifting your behavior because you need home to be a. I can see where you're going with that. I want to say maybe it's too narrow, though, because like there's the dynamic of just where your home is and your family. And when you start to challenge those things it's easy to write off the stranger. It's easy to write off the other person, but when your daughter or your best friend or your family member, whether you're in a, you know, in a sexual relationship or not is challenging you, it's not as easy to write it off. It's not as comfortable. Right. So I don't know if it's just simply that dynamic versus. I wouldn't. And it's like why I said to you, I'm not going to say that's just it. I just think the reason why I've called out our allies, our strongest allies being the white female and the gay white male as our strongest allies is because I still think they have a lot of power to shift persuasions. I don't know that the white female is the strongest ally. I don't know. There's a picture that... As a white female, I'm telling you, I'm not so sure. Well, we're not just talking about one of you. (laughs) 
not just you, Trish. We're talking about like at mass. I know, now, but at mass? At, at mass. Do you, you know that picture I keep quoting and I need to get a copy of the picture so everybody can see it. In the protests where there was that whole barrier of white females who were standing on the protest line. So yeah. basically you're going to have to get through to us to hurt them. Right. Yeah. I think they called this like the wall of moms or something. It was, it was a really, really powerful statement that was being made. And I'm sure it made a lot of people think as to, you don't know who that person is connected to. So you need to be really careful as we go pushing through this barrier. Now, picking up on what you said about children, I believe children affect parents very much so. But sadly, sometimes as parents, and now I'm going to get caught in a little bit of a generalization. So I, I apologize. But sometimes as parents, we have a habit of talking down to our children saying, you don't understand the full picture. We've been here longer, so we understand more than you. So it's not as simple as you're trying to make it. And I guess one of the things I am trying to do is oversimplify. So to everybody listening, I put my hand up. I'm trying to oversimplify this to like, okay, what's one, two, three to make kind of four happen, five happen, six happen fast. And the more and more I keep thinking about it, and it's because I keep thinking about it. I'm like, if we got this intentionally put in place, because right now it's like it's emergence that's happening, right? It's constant emergence of different groups coming together and saying, we're going to become allies. We're going to work with each other and we're going to push this forward because we want everybody to be respected as humans and all human life to be equal, ultimately. So we could say in this country, we just want to see our state of the union, you know, what we've said that we really believe in be a reality that everybody experiences every single second of every single day. Yeah, I, I think the hard part, at least what I'm experiencing is, A, I'm hard pressed to find people. Well, that's not complete true. I do know people that are like, they are straight up overt racist, right? And But for the most part, I don't encounter people when I'm trying to have conversations in the sense of, no, we don't want that common goal of equity across. And, and of course we want, but there's still this very strong denial in terms of the impact and the, you know, some of the conversations we've been having beforehand of the legacy. And so the hard part is, is like, I'm hearing you with wanting like this intentional allyship group and whether it is a segments of certain groups, I'm not sure I'm there with that dynamic, but the problem I'm encountering is, you know, for all intents and purposes, in some ways, quote unquote, I'm a white female slightly ahead of the curve. And I do say slightly in the sense that these aren't new conversations. I'm even willing to be recorded and put these out there, right? Like, and, and do this. And, and yet the problem and to some degree is Ally is a big jump from where a lot of people are right now. Even if they want the good intention, even if they believe it, there's still this element of self-sacrifice that comes with it. There's an element that safety, especially with everything else going on in the protest and, you know, very inflammatory kind of sentiments and things like this. I'm concerned with the need or the desire, honestly, to go from exposure to ally. I feel like it's taken me years to even get to the place where I'm at 
to where I'm willing to even have these conversations. I was talking with somebody last night and he was like, Trish, I would not have this conversation. A black person was sitting right here. And I was like, really? I would, (laughs) but that's not abnormal. So my concern with is even when we're talking about who needs to be our allies is like, are we skipping a whole lot of levels that is preventing people from truly being allies? Which is maybe what kind of got us here to begin with is because we're like, boom, civil rights done. Everybody's equal. And then you still walked around with 60 plus percent of people going, you know, finding alternative ways to be racist and to create segments and and doing these things. And, and I'm a little nervous about the, as, as somebody else, like the woke thing to do right now, right? Like I want to be on the right side of history, but they don't actually truly internalize it. They don't actually truly understand it. And we're trying to make people kind of like in the agile space, jump from individuals to a self-organizing team overnight. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't, and that's what's scary is how long is the journey point? I just felt my stomach drop with that start of that question. (laughs) How long is the journey point from, I know this is a wrong thing that's happening to, I don't want this thing to be happening to other people. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I believe that it fully happens to other people. Right. To then I will do, whatever I can with my affluence to influence change. I'm going to have that hard conversation with my boss about it. I'm going to have that hard conversation with my neighbor or my friend or a family member. That's a big jump. Isn't that huge? It's big jump. And that's what's scary. I've got so many emotions around this. That's why I say to myself, And that's where the doubt comes in and there's no, and and my hope starts to fight against current reality. Is change ever really going to happen? Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's right. I don't know. But I do feel like we're hitting a tipping point where silencing techniques aren't going to work, right? Like there were a bunch of people that posted out things like, I'm boycotting the NFL. I'm like, oh, just zip it. Really? Because speaking up for racism is hurting your soul? Like, come on. But- Here's why I get a little bit of hope from that. And what I see or what I experience a little bit is, you know, like, I'm not even kidding you. Last night, I got a call with somebody I used to work with, right, is doing a book club with the senior leadership team in the organization. And he was facilitating. He was so nervous. He's like, did I do it? You know, like, he's he's got all these things. What you're making me think about is, is I almost feel like there needs to be like these programs of helping which I realize I'm going to say this and I'm going to take a lot of heat because in the grand scheme of things, I understand comparison wise, right? But let me, let me finish this. As people are going in their journey and starting to confront more and more, it's terrifying, right? We talked about those reactions and the threats that, you know, I get, or suddenly someone's not speaking to me for a couple of weeks because I had the audacity to say something, right? Or they're worried about going to their family outing because they actually posted a support for the Detroit Lions and everybody else wants to boycott them, right? And all these dumb in the grand scheme of life things. But to your point, originally that nucleus of their family and their dynamics, it it does feel like their entire world. It's almost like we need programs to help white people, whether it's white women, men, LGBTQ, underrepresented, other BIPOC, whoever it is, as they're moving towards and, and working towards their awareness and their empathy and their things, 
How do we support them so that they can get to that place of allyship so they can do the things that are impacting this corporate world that's impacting the lobby and that's impacting these things? Because my fear and I and we talked about this before is like it's exhausting. And in the grand scheme of things, I don't look at a video and get traumatized. Like I understand my exhaustion compared to a black person's exhaustion right now. Get out of here. Like I, I am fully. But when you're in that moment. Yeah, it is. One of the things we said when we first started the conversation was the reason we want let's continue the conversation is after it's no longer in the media. So it's no longer in my face. So I have to address it. What then happens? Remember, that was the whole thing. So we can continue the conversation. Let's keep it in our space at least. So we keep poking, poking, poking. But unless something happens, because even media wise, when it quietens down in the media and then some offshoot happens, that's not public. There are reactions to almost, God, do we still have to keep talking about this? I've already heard it a couple times from people. Right. Aren't you like, come on, it's enough. Right. Like, like, come on, seriously. Can we get back to everyday life? Kind of like the way we want COVID to go away. It's kind yeah. of like, right? Well, and that's, that's why I'm, I'm, most people. I'm concerned when you said white women, because honestly, I, as a overgeneralization, I have actually felt like there's obviously some and all of that good stuff, but generally I actually get more inquisitive in conversations from white men than I do from white women. My conversations with, uh, with not all, not all, don't write me messages. Okay. With some white women tends to be a little bit more. And I say this lovingly as a a fellow white woman, (laughs) self-serving, like I just want to feel safe. I don't want to have to deal with this. That that exhaustion dynamic, whereas a lot of my conversation with white men tend to be a little bit more trying to pick it apart, honestly. It's a it's a very logistical, logical kind of thing. And granted, that varies across different people, but I get worried about the messaging that's going out right now that if you're not doing anything, you suck. But if you're not doing it right, you suck. This is a big jump to get into that ally. Because you're then the minority, you're then the lesser of the voice and the entire organization that's bringing up this conversation. In some ways, that should be a bridge to make you double down, which is really what it did for me was like, okay, I'm in. But I think for a lot of people, that feeling, as you know, is horrific. And so they escape. And I'm very worried that our allies become the same kinds of people that have been the allies this entire time, but not enough. And so for me, it's not so much who's the best allies, but how do we get to a point where we have a tipping point of allies? I think we've gotten to a tipping point of not silence anymore, but we haven't gotten to a tipping point of allies willing to speak up, allies willing to to confront the uncomfortable, even in their closest circles and, and what that means. And so for me, the ally question comes more of how do we scale it more so than who it is, because that journey is a hard, long journey. And we're asking people to get on the journey. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, 
Like it's not just here, here, let's listen to Lizzie's story and gain some empathy from somebody that doesn't embody your picture of, you know, the inner city person, right? No, let's hear Lizzie's story. Now go and tell your boss that he's being racist. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a Grand Canyon, right? It's like, okay, you're here. You're admiring the view. Isn't this amazing? Oh my yeah, God. and then I just come behind you and shove your butt right in. Oh, I'm falling, I'm falling, I'm falling. I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but that actually, in some ways, even though this isn't new, I mean, I think that was one of my favorite statements that uh, it was like on an SNL show or something. It might've been Chris Rock. I don't even remember who it was that said, I love all the white people acting like this is a shock because it's not new, but yet still, even in this, that exhaustion and that feeling of being pushed into a canyon whether you're trying to be the ally or you're the one dealing with the trauma and the fears and and wanting equity, we're all just at the bottom of the canyon right now. (laughs) But we got there different ways. Yes, definitely. I had a conversation with a relative. I think it was was late night yesterday, talking about a blurb that had happened on an airline. And we were having the conversation. And I, I hadn't seen it, but she was like kind of updating me. And was like, I don't know why we have to just go so extreme. Why can't we just be what's it? Because nothing happened. I mean, the person hadn't done anything to them. How would you expect there's a small hallway? If you're trying to get through on a plane, somebody's going to touch you. Hell, what the hell do you expect? And, you know, and now what's everybody going to think? All these crazy black people, blah, 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 blah. And I said, sadly, you got to go past that reaction, understanding most, if not all people of color or ethnic diversity are right now in extreme PSD. And so even if you didn't mean to do something, it's kind of like if God got a paper cut and you're like spraying sanitizer. Oh, here's some sanitizer. <laughs> with you. Oh, sorry. I didn't know. I was just trying to keep you disinfected and safe. I think there's, that's going to keep happening. And once the media gets a hold of it, depending on how they want to contextualize it for whatever agenda they're currently on at that point, instead of helping make allies, it creates more people who then want to, I was going to, I was going to have a conversation about Mandiano. And I would say that even in the allyship, like I have to be really careful with myself because I'll get a question and I, and the questions are like, I don't get it. I don't get why this is such a big deal. And, and I'll feel exhausted, like, come on, like it, but yet the reality is, is that's part of it is they're looking at it from these different lenses. And sometimes it is that, but I see this viral video, which I get told that ages me for me saying viral video. I don't know what the right term is. What are you supposed to say? I don't know. I was asking you. Oh, I don't know. Okay. I'll have to text a friend. I'll text a kid and say, what are we supposed to say? Yeah, we got to ask a hipper person. (laughs) I'm not sure. But they, you know, the viral video, which is what everybody's talking about, but it's what you're talking about. It's like, but you're not seeing that, you know, the post-traumatic stress. You're not seeing the history of enough, enough. And so I'll get a lot of the, I, I ended up posting about the, uh, the Roderick Walker who was in Georgia and 
you know, he remains in jail because he had warts out. I'm okay with him remaining in jail for his warrants. I'm not okay with aggressively pulling him out of the backseat of a car when you didn't know who he was and putting him unconscious twice, period, right? Like that would never, ever, ever, ever happen to me. I have no concerns that would happen to my son. But then people will look at that one video and like, why are you lobbying for somebody that has this warrant? Actually, it's like, that's not the part that I'm, I'm okay with him staying in jail. I'm okay with, right? Like that, I didn't say he was a saint. I said he deserves the same rights and respect that anybody else would get and not be harassed and discriminated with those things. And just because it turned out he had a warrant doesn't justify his beating. Um, So we were right to treat him this way because, hey, he is a criminal. And so we should treat criminals this way. Now, if that's going to be what we say, but this impact a lot of people getting to that ally state because it's a cognitive dissonance to, but they're not good people, right? Like that's in their head and, and they're not overgeneralizing. And even when they don't mean to think that because they're not aware they're thinking that they deserve this, all the news, all the media, most of the things you've seen, most of your life, you've heard and watched the way they have been contextualized reinforces that. Right. And so for me, I'm trying to figure out better ways to have those discussions to use these specific scenarios, because in a lot of ways, the specific scenarios help to demonstrate the pattern, to demonstrate the dynamic, right? But then to overlay the pattern, because my fear is we're not going to get this tipping point of allies, true allies, and an anti-racist dynamic. Not that we're perfect. No. As you are well aware so not perfect. And not not that we're perfect, but that we're willing to engage and that we've stopped kind of fighting that narrative that can go through our heads. And I'm I'm not judging the narrative anymore is one of the dynamics for me. I think I was and that's I don't I don't judge anybody that still does because there's just it is an exhaustion, it is a frustration of like Especially like one of my girlfriends is just like, Trisha, I'm just done. I don't care for the white woman tears. Anyway, I am done. Right. Like, and she's deserved, like she, you've earned it. Like I, like there's no part of me, but for me as the fellow white woman of trying to go, how do I help make it so that we can have those conversations, create the safety to have those conversations, to challenge that initial reaction, to challenge that connection that made it safe for that person Mm -hmm. that made it go, this won't happen to me, or this won't keep happening because it goes back to your original point, right? Like we hopefully all want this, but I, I don't know if a lot of current allies, like some of the best allies there are in some ways that are the loudest that confront things always have the best skills in helping other people become allies. Does that make sense? Probably not. If you were going to go abracadabra, I'd like to find the perfect ally. I don't know. That like you say, the loudest ones are the perfect or most articulate or empathetic people to be allies. A conversation I had, I think it was, it was last week. And I said, I was going back to animals right now. Everybody hear me out before you get, you know, you jerk out on me. If you think about the way society And let's go Western world for a second. The way Western world treasure animals. Okay. All right. So 
don't really like cats. <laughs> cats are not always everybody's favorite. No. Okay, we can so say dogs. Most people love dogs because you know people say doggy images. We're all like, "Oh, the dog." Okay, so let's all think right. about dog for a second. If we know a dog has been violent and has bitten people and hurt people, when they go for the dog to pick the dog up, the people who go to pick up the dog still aim to pick up the dog in the most caring way possible. Although once they take the dog from the scene back to dog prison or dog pound, they're going to put it down. They still aim to remove it from the place in the most humane way or dog loving way. That's still someone's pet. That's still somebody's family member, right? So they're still doing that. So the conversation I'd had was really as we are trying to get up in the idea of letting those who are not white be treated with equality. If one of the stages we could be promoted to was at least getting the same consideration and care as animals are given. Now that, and that's horrible to say that, right? But if we hit even that rank across the Western world, we would actually be in a better place than we are at this current second in time. I mean, uniformly, I'm talking uniformly, not, oh, well, I like this black person. They're not like the other black people or I like this. No, I mean, like uniformly. So even when you go for a black criminal, a black criminal is still given the respect of a animal until we can get to the point where they can be respected as a human. So if I was looking at an iterative plan, right, what would be the sprint goal for this next sprint? One that's realistic that a team could commit to and say, as activists, we could commit to together as allies if we could get to the equality of a black life across the board being treated at least first with the respect that we do our pets. Now, that's going to trigger a whole bunch of things that people hear me say this and watch this. How dare you say, I get it, but I'm talking about what could be the realistic steps to get to the next level, to get to the next level, to get to the next level. Because we are crying out, we shouldn't have to go through any more levels at this point for us just to be treated like you are treated. I get that. I hear it. I feel it. But then my logical mind, my consultant head comes into play and thinks, solution. How do I simplify and break it down to make it a step by step piece? So we could almost say, okay, we've seen a difference here. Now I think we're ready to come to the next level. Fascinating. I, um, you say this and obviously it makes me like literally want to vomit right now. And, and I got to go back to training after this and I'm just going to be like, right. We may need to drink. I may have to have a shot before I go back into my class after. Um, we didn't really think through that part of us having these conversations in the middle of the day, but whatever. This particular video in Georgia really has wrecked me. Not that all of them don't, but this last one, maybe it's because I'm trying to have more and more of the conversations with people and things like this. But as you were talking, I think the part that 
wrecked me was now in hearing you say that and, and me like, and it just feeling like it actually fits was here's this woman. And I don't actually know if it's girlfriend, friend, like I, I don't even know that part of the story. And I, I, I'm not even sure she's recording what is happening to somebody she clearly cares about. She is freaking out. She is recording him. He's going unconscious, hitting him in the face, right? And all these things. She's yelling at him, don't do this. Don't do that. Like, don't die. Don't kill him. As they get him settled or however, like controlled, whatever freaking term they, you know, use. An officer turns to her and says, calm down. No part of me, if that was my husband, would be calm. And telling me to calm down, never in the history of telling anyone to calm down, has ever calmed down. And the next sentence out, and I mean literally the next sentence was, if you don't, I'm going to arrest you too. And I, I don't know if I even realized until you were just telling that story. It's, it's that level of like, you just had somebody watch somebody get attacked that you love and we're again, not even giving them that base respect of, obviously this is going to be upsetting. I think back to Castile and his girlfriend or fiance watching him and just still calmly recording as he's dying next to her. And the cops are still like, don't move, don't react, don't be. We don't treat that dynamic of there is love and like human respect. And so Honestly, I'm like having a moment. I'm flustered right now because I think that might actually be partially why it leveled it up even further was that reaction to her afterwards and that strong, like, or you're going down to, right? Like that just know that they would be willing to execute on that word of you're now going to be arrested. Yeah. And more than no empathy, no real, no way to find that. Because one, you're not economically in a position where you can call a lawyer and get out in an hour or so. You don't have any real influential friends who you can call, who can call somebody else to get you out. So now on your record, you would have a criminal offense, but nobody would investigate to understand why you've got that criminal offense. So now you can't get a better job. You can't in the economically level up. You can't get into a better neighborhood. So you're stuck in the cycle that keeps you being victimized, keeps you making choices of survival versus choices of a better life because the systematic cycle keeps going. It's interesting if I take then what you highlighted in terms of the sprint goal and go, if we're trying to, and I, I don't think I can say that, just treat them like, you know, a human that's so jacked up in my head. Like I, I gotcha. Maybe continue to be an ally, trying to help others become allies. There's an element of, it's not even so much when those logical dissidents and, and those things happen is how do I help put the person who's struggling into the shoes of that woman, of having to witness that, see that, and then have no respect, no consideration, no empathy for what she just witnessed that is layered on top of her already existing post-traumatic stress, that is layered on top of who else knows, however many other incidences and things, knowing that a child, if it was her child or not, witnessed this. And you're, you know, as a female dealing with that, 
And I think I've tried to put more in the shoes of the person being attacked, honestly. But this is an interesting new action that I can take in terms of how do I put it in the shoes of the people there present witnessing that are impacted by what choices you're making, but we're not even giving them that respect and that level. And when it's a child that watches that state, you now tell the child they should trust these people to do right by them. Would the child really trust those people? So then you've got another generation of those who are distrusting. So if we take a second and we look back at some war crimes that have happened over the 50s, 60s, 70s years, right, where you have cultures who are totally anti the American culture because as children they witness their parents be murdered, raped, blah, 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 right? And you see what that has. That doesn't seem like the blah, blah. Well, I, I don't mean to be blah, I am with so you. Much, just... right? All of those things have happened. Then you see now these nations and wonder why they won't acquiesce and why they have instinct, we don't like you people, and we will find a way to take you down as an entire continent, right? We can sit back and look at that and see it and judge it and make understandings about it and you know, kind of find some empathy. Now come internal to your own country and understand all the same things have happened. All the same things have happened right here on this soil. Yet nothing has happened. And these people have by no means risen up to come back against in a negative way whatsoever. They just keep begging for yeah, can we just be part of the family too? That's, you know, really kind of like all that everybody is asking for. And as much as people are, you know, we kind of come to the religious, not religious, you know, Christianity being something given to blacks by white people and black, there's all these opinions that are around it. The one common thread I see consistent is that all the people who end up in many cases, and I'm making a little bit of a generalization, so if I've overly generalized, forgive me, but many of the leaders of movements of change have some kind of religious background. Those who seem to be put up more on a pedestal appear to have a Christianity base. Those who are a little sneered on and not given that much tend to have somewhat of an Eastern religion base to it. But you're noticing it appears that those who have pushed the causes have had this spiritual base underneath them. And I'm wondering if the people who had pushed the causes didn't have that base that says there should be some element of forgiveness, there should be some kind of reconciliation, there should be a force moving for peace, would we have got the rights we truly wanted? So you are opening a whole can of stuff. Oh, huge, right? Just right huge, now. Right, right at the end. Like right at the end, just like, <laughs> wow. Right. Because I didn't know anything about some of that. So maybe 
we need to have this conversation as the next one because like, I don't know. I, so I am agnostic. And if you really push me hard, I am atheist, but I have a lot of opinions on certain things that actually do align with what you're highlighting that now make me super curious about this. So I'm going to call an audible and say that this is our next conversation um, over what we were going to pick because I am not super educated in this area or even aware of the things, but it would make sense to me a little bit. And it goes to that tipping point, right? If you get enough people um, with that. So let's pause on that one because we are, we are where we are with this and we're like, we'll make it a cliffhanger. It's more annoying to the two of us to just not go, Hey, but I'm calling you tomorrow. (laughs) And I think even what I just, learn today, this hour, which is like, I can be done for the day, right? Is in that mentoring too, is, is making sure that we're nurturing and mentoring and looking at all the perspectives that there are multiple victims. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be something that I'm looking at when I do. Right now, there isn't a segment I don't see as a potential ally for me. I'm pretty much, you want to talk, I'm I'm making myself available like in, in that, but I do like the idea of thinking about how to create something or helping or asking others that are way more talented than me to come up with some kind of, here's, you know, some tips on how to do that mentoring when people are inquisitive and they want to do better, but they don't know. And because we can't just jump and say, be an ally or be anti-race. It is a journey. I think we'd make better allies if we actually gave some training on how to, how to help come that way. Like you said, give people there is a spectrum at which you might look at this or it may have hit you or you've been exposed to it in some way to just help people make those moves forward (laughs) everyone thank you so much please pass on links to those you know who are in corporate so they can tune in we just want to encourage you to have the courage to have the conversation and have the empathy to allow a conversation and opinions to be voiced that may come off as offensive, but understanding somebody's trying to make the first step. So let's encourage the first step to be made, even if you feel you don't have to, just because we're looking for a bigger change as the outcome. All right. So more pain. Yes, we all do have to go through just because the outcome we want for tomorrow and for our kids to be such, we want it to be way better than what it is today. So yes, because we're in the middle of a new civil rights movement or the Next iteration, next sprint of it, we got to take that same hit that they've taken in the past, but hopefully we can take it with more intelligence and innovation and empathy than ever before. So let's love every single person and remember that each human counts, people. Each human counts. Have the best Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Stay well and safe. Now, just because the episode is over doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. Come find us on Instagram at Let's Continue the Conversation and let us know what you thought of today's episode and what takeaways you're leaving with. And don't forget to help us spread the word. Screenshot the episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversation. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over on Let's Continue the Conversation.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.